If you have your Bible with you this morning, we're going to be in Romans 8. Um, I'm going to just preach the same thing I did last week. Um, so if you were here, uh, great. You're going to hear it all over. I'm just kidding, kind of. Um, a little. Uh, kind of not. But, um, man, if you uh, were here last week, we talked about some, some things that I, I don't want to just kind of gloss over. And uh, we're going to get back into some of those in just a second. But... Uh, we're going to continue this morning this series we've been talking about, about the Holy Spirit called Forgotten Promise or the Forgotten Promise. Um, and I know that maybe sounds weird, uh, the series about the Holy Spirit, and we call it the Forgotten Promise, because if you've been around church very long, you've heard probably of the Holy Spirit. You've probably heard people mention it a little bit. Oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit. And normally what we mean by the Holy Spirit is somebody raised their hand this morning. It was great. The Holy Spirit showed up. Well, Great. Or, man, uh, they, they were into it this morning. They, like, jumped a little bit. The Holy Spirit must have been there. And most of the time what we mean by that is the Holy Spirit is a, a worship aid or, like, a tool where when worship gets pretty good, the Holy Spirit shows up. But the truth of it is the Holy Spirit is so much more than that. I think most of us would say we're, we're semi-comfortable with God, right? Like, God the Father. whole world's actually comfortable with the word God. It doesn't matter what religion you are. People will say God. Uh, everybody believes in God, right? Just who is that God? Uh, for most of us, we're very comfortable with the term God. When we say it in this place, we mean God the Father, um, you know, God the God above us, the creator God. Um, and most of us are comfortable with Jesus, and maybe not so much out there, but in here. Uh, if you're here this morning, you're at least comfortable with the idea of Jesus. Um, you're comfortable with the thought there is a Savior, right? There, there is a Son, or there may at least be a Son. And most of us are at least semi-comfortable with that idea. Uh, but for most of us, even growing up in church, the Holy Spirit's like this foreign entity, and most of us don't really know what he does or what he's for, and we just kind of think, oh, he's something that helps us worship better. He's the Holy Spirit. And when I say some of that, some of you, depending on where you were raised, uh, maybe have like a fear about that. Like, oh, he's going to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning. I wish I wouldn't have come, right? Um, because that's weird. That's when stuff gets strange. Some of you guys uh, maybe um, have really no idea what we're talking about when we talk about the Holy Spirit. And what, what, I, what I want to come across the next few weeks is the Holy Spirit is so much more um, than just some guy that shows up when the bridge gets really good, right? He's not just here so we can raise our hands. Like, that's not what he's for. Although he does show up in worship, and he does move us and motivate us to look upward. Like, he does those things. That's not entirely what he's for. Actually, Jesus says himself that it's better that he goes away. What a hard statement. Think about that. Jesus, the Savior, walks up to the disciples. He says, hey, it's better that I go away so the Comforter or the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, can come. What a weird statement. And, and if... if if that's true, how in the world is it even possible that all he showed up for was the bridge of a song on Sunday? Amen. So the goal is, the idea is the next few weeks that we elevate in our minds and our hearts the position and, and the person of the Holy Spirit. It's not the Father like way up here and then the Son kind of down here beneath him and then the Holy Spirit kind of way down there somewhere. We believe that our God is one God and three persons, and I'm not diving into the Trinity this morning too hard, so like, don't get freaked out because I'm going to confuse myself and you. Uh, but we believe that there is one God, and he's represented in three separate persons. And the Holy Spirit is a co-equal to those other two forms of God, that it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, not the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why 
Jesus can say things like, man, it's better that the Holy Spirit comes. And then the Holy Spirit can turn the attention right back to Jesus, right? And then Jesus can turn the attention right back to the Father, and then the Father bounces it right back to Jesus. It's, they're not in competition this morning for who we think about the most, or who we love the most, or who we want the most, or who we desire the most. It's three separate persons that are all one God. And this morning, the goal is that we elevate in our hearts and our lives the position and the person of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, we're going to talk about that in Romans 8. Romans 8 was a letter, not a book, a letter um, written by a man named Paul. If you ever heard of him, he wrote a little a couple things in the Bible. Uh, a man named Paul. And uh, in Romans 8, specifically as he's writing to the church at Rome, he talks about uh, in, in length this Holy Spirit. And he starts off kind of talking about the Holy Spirit coupled with the, the salvation of Jesus. Those two things together work in our life to accomplish some amazing things. And uh, last week, like we talked about, three of those things that we probably never think of when we think of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is a weapon against the flesh. What an amazing thing that today we have this opportunity not to live under the rule of sin and under the rule of our flesh, but we can live under the power of the Holy Spirit and we we can battle our flesh because of him. We see that not only is he a weapon against the flesh, but he's actually a vessel through which we can have a relationship or we can communicate in that relationship with God the Father. Some of you guys maybe, maybe feel like your relationship with God is empty. Well, maybe it's because you haven't thrown into this, this person, the Holy Spirit. Like Nikki said a minute ago, he's like the walkie-talkie. If we, if we want to have a conversation with God, it goes through the vessel of the Holy Spirit. But other than that, he also is the assurance of our salvation. Isn't that amazing? Some of you guys are probably like I used to be, and you doubt, man, am I really saved? I'm really saved. I'm really saved. Well, if the Holy Spirit is represented in your life, if he's present in your life, then yes. You don't have access to the Holy Spirit other than through salvation. And if he's not, then probably not, because he's the assurance of our salvation. And this morning, um, I kind of left off last week with verse 16, and I said, The Spirit himself testifies together, the Holy Spirit testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the assurance of our salvation. He testifies, witnesses, he gives an eyewitness account with our spirit, who we are, that we are God's children. This is in 17, that if, if we are children, we're also heirs. Now, this word heirs means that we have legal right, that we have legal kind of access to all the rights as a son or daughter of God, that we are heirs to the kingdom. It says, sorry, I'm getting confused here, Um, (laughs) that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. It says, seeing that we suffer with him, when you hear that, that we suffer with him, we we are going to suffer. I grew up in church, and I heard so many times, kind of especially the earlier stages in church, if, if you'll come to know Jesus, everything will be okay, and everything will be happiness, and there'll never be any bad days. It'll be like rainbows and puppies forever. You heard that. If you grew up in church, you heard that, because that's what they used to preach, right? But in reality, the Bible teaches so much different than that. See, the truth is, if we are here, we're going to suffer. Amen? Suffering is part of life in this body. You're going to suffer. Doesn't matter if you know Jesus. Doesn't matter if you don't know Jesus. You're going to suffer. See, the truth of it is, so many times we suffer more on the other side of the cross than we did before the cross. You hear that and you're like, well, I don't think that's fair. 
Yeah, well, Jesus suffered on the cross, so as long as you're not there, I think you're in a pretty good spot. Uh, we suffer more a lot of times on this side of the cross than we did the other. Why would that be? Well, why would the devil aggravate you and frustrate you and mess with you if you were dead? There's no reason to poke a, de- a dead beehive, right? Like, if there's nothing in it, there's no reason to mess with it, because it might just wake up, right? <laughs> But the truth of it is, suffering is a reality for us in this body. But this is what it says. Seeing that we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. See, the reality is, suffering is going to happen. But through suffering, we will one day step into glorification. Last week we talked about the salvation process and we talked about how salvation is really a three-step process. Most of us think salvation, like the moment we come down here and we say some prayer and we bow down and we're like, hey Jesus, I give you my life. That's what we think of as salvation. And that is step one of the salvation process. Salvation in the past, right? Where we commit ourselves to God, where we give our lives to Jesus, where we see that his sacrifice was enough and that's the only way we're ever going to have access to God. That's the only way we're ever going to have access to spiritual life and that's the only way we're ever going to have access to forgiveness of sin. And we step into the moment of salvation, past tense, when we get there. And in that moment, we're, we're, we're separated from, we're saved from the penalty of sin, past tense. I'm already free from the penalty of sin. That's what happened when I was 11 years old. But then there's this process through the Holy Spirit called sanctification. It's the part we don't talk about in the church anymore because it's not popular. But what that is, is that's, that's being made more like Jesus. That's this process where the Holy Spirit works in our life and he, he makes us more like Jesus. He, he gets rid of those imperfections. In a lot of ways, that comes through suffering. If your relationship doesn't glorify Jesus and he's trying to cut it away, That's called sanctification. If your habits, your attitudes, your words, and some of those are painful, uh, try to deteriorate and to go away and they're causing us harm, a lot of times that is called sanctification. And that's where the Holy Spirit works in us and he makes us more like Jesus. And in in that moment, we're we're being separated or saved from the presence of sin in our life or the power of sin. Sanctification. But there's this third step that we kind of hinted at last week called glorification. And that's where we're all going to leave this place one day and we're going to go to be with him. Amen. Amen. That's glorification. We're going to receive our glorified body. And in that moment, we're going to be future tense, saved from the presence of sin. There'll be no more sin in that moment. Amen. There's no sin in heaven. Some of you guys aren't happy enough about that. Maybe you're not excited about heaven because there's no sin there. I'm pretty excited about it because I'm tired of sin. I'm tired of sin having power over my life. I'm tired of dealing with it. I'm tired of struggling with it. I'm tired of feeling guilt and shame and all those things that come along with it because they're best friends to sin. I'm tired of those things. And one day I'm going to step out of that moment and I'm going to go be in a perfect place with a perfect God. And I'm going to stand in perfection, the presence of it, and I'm going to be perfected. And that is called glorification. And in that moment, future tense, we're going to be saved from the presence of sin, never to enter into the presence of sin again. Man, what an amazing thing to think about. You deal with sin? You deal with sin? Does it bother you to deal with sin? Because if it does, man, this should be an exciting moment for us. We've lost that in the church. See, the truth is, all we want right now is this part. Amen? 
We want, I'm going to come down here and I'm going to say the sinner's prayer. And when I say the sinner's prayer, everything's going to be okay. Problem is, that's not actually in the Bible. So if that's what you're banking on, that's a bad thing. Um, we're going to come down here and we're going to, somebody's going to give us the words to say. And in that moment, we're going to be saved from hell. So that if we eventually die, hopefully we won't, but if we eventually die, after we've prolonged life as long as we can, and we've never done anything to expand our relationship with Jesus, we won't have to go to hell. Amen? That's what's popular, actually, in the church today. That's the only thing we're living for is I don't want to go to hell. That was never, ever, ever the choice. Can I just tell you that? The choice was never. It has never been. It will never be. It has never been. Past, present, future. The choice has never been heaven or hell. You can't find that. You cannot find it in the Bible. You cannot find a moment where Jesus walks up to the crowd and he's like, who wants to go to heaven? Raise your hand. Who wants to go to heaven? Repeat after me. Put your hand over your heart and say these words and you'll get to go to heaven. You never see that. The truth of it is, hell is a real place. And heaven is a real place. But that's not the choice. The choice has always been, do you want Jesus or do you not want Jesus? The side effect is heaven or hell. Amen? And the reason that sanctification and glorification are not popular in the church anymore is because we're not in love with Jesus. We're in love with not going to hell. That's the best part. That's the most exciting part for us is, oh, I don't have to burn forever. Well, that's great. But if that's what you're living for and that's what you're longing for, you're probably going to find out one day when you stand before Jesus. He says, depart from me because I never knew you. See, the truth of it is we got to get back to a moment where salvation is a moment where we see that Jesus is supreme, that he is the treasure, that he is the greatest, that God said his name is higher than every other name. And I believe that and I put my faith in that. And I'm just so thankful he died so I have access to that. That is salvation. And then because of that, we can step into sanctification, this moment where we're being perfected, where we're shedding sin like old dead skin. We're getting rid of the old man. In the Bible, there's no, there's no reason. It should be a mystery to us. Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. He's not joking. That's not like a, oh, let's tone that down because we're in the 20th century now. That's not the deal. He means it. If your eye is causing you to sin, it's better to enter into eternity with only one eye than to sin and be cast into hell. Yeah. Oh, if your hand's causing you to sin, chop it off. Get rid of that thing because it's better to enter into eternity with one hand than it is to be cast into hell because you wanted both hands. See, sanctification may not be the cool thing in church anymore, but it is a very real biblical thing, and it's the second step of the salvation process. And if you never entered into it, maybe you never entered into the first one. And then at the end of all that, we finally don't have to deal with sin anymore because we step into glorification. Do you remember when the church used to be excited about that? Oh, one day I'm going to go be with heaven. I'm going to go be with Jesus. I'm going to stand before him. I'm going to see my Savior. And people would weep over that because it was such an exciting thought to think, man, one day I'm going to stand in the presence of perfection as perfection. That's glorification. But can I just say that none of that comes without suffering? You will never be glorified if you're not willing to suffer. You will never, ever, actually, ever step into heaven if you're not willing to suffer. You will never stand before the Savior if you're not willing to suffer. Because, see, the truth of it is everybody's going to suffer. Some of us are going to suffer here because we want to be with Jesus, and some of us are going to suffer there because we didn't really care here. He says, the Holy Spirit is the evidence in us that we are the children of God. And if we are the children of God, great news, we are heirs. And we have legal right and access to everything that Jesus has access to. He says we're co-heirs with him, not we're lesser heirs. Yeah, his name is greater than ours, but we have the same access. 
Jesus got a hold of God when he talked, didn't he? We have the same access. And it says, seeing that we suffer with him, if we're not willing to suffer with him, we're probably not willing to be glorified. It says, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified. And this is the moment we're going to step into this morning in 18. This is Paul talking. He said, I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. This is Paul's words here. Now, you can look at that and you can be like, well, what's Paul know? He doesn't know what I'm going through. Well, Paul knows a lot. Paul knows a lot because Paul suffered in a way that most of us, or probably all of us, will never suffer. Actually, when Jesus called Paul, do you know what he said? I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name. Go read it. It's in Acts. That's, that's the first word he said about him. He's like, hey, um, I, I just want you to know, I'm going to show Paul how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul was stoned multiple times. At the end of Paul's life, he was not, you know, old and in and, and, and retirement and finally at the end of his days where he laid down and peacefully died in his sleep. Like, that's not the deal. He was killed for his faith. And that's just the beginning of what Paul went through for the cause of Jesus. Amen. Paul was, like, killed multiple times, basically, for his faith. He just didn't know it the first couple times. Um, Paul suffered. And Paul, looking at this church in, in Rome, looking at these Romans, he looks at them and, and he says to these people, all different backgrounds, all different things, all different issues, all different problems, none probably like Paul's. He looks at these people and he says, hey, I just want you to know, I consider that these sufferings, what I'm going through, all, all those stones that I've been hit with, all those times I've almost died and knowing that I'm going to, to die for the name of Jesus, knowing that, that's my goal actually. That's what drives me. I'm gonna wake up every morning thinking, how can I make them kill me today to shut me up so I can go be with him? I consider that these sufferings of this present time, this stuff that I'm going through, are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Can I just wrap that up in a pretty little bow and tell you what he's saying? He's saying, everything you've seen me go through, I wouldn't even waste my time putting it on a scale with what I'm going to see. Because it's, it's going to look ridiculous. It's not worth even figuring out the data on because the sufferings that I'm going through, as bad as they may be, don't hold a candle to the glory that I'm going to see. He's like, do you know people? Do you realize people? One day, I'm going to stand before Jesus. Like, like Jesus, the guy who died for me, the guy who saved me, the guy who went to the cross for me. I'm going to stand before that guy. And not only am I going to stand before Jesus, I'm going to stand before God the Father. Like right now, the Holy Spirit's in me. Thank God. I just talked about that. But I just want you to know, one day, all that's going to be united. I'm going to stand in the presence of God like all three parts. I'm going to be there. And it's going to be amazing. And I don't even want to talk about the sufferings right now. Because I'm, I'm so caught up in what's coming, I can't look at what's here. Amen? Now, Paul's not trying to downplay what anybody's going through. Because some of you guys are going through crazy stuff. Some of you guys, maybe it's marriage. Some of you guys, maybe your head or your thoughts. Some of you guys, maybe it's just your job. Maybe some of you guys, it's something worse. It's sickness. Maybe it's death. I have no idea what you're going through. And I'll probably never know what most of you are going through. And I'll never know the hurt and the pain and maybe the intimacy that you do. And he's not trying to downplay that. And I'm not trying to downplay that. But I am saying we have a choice. 
We can sit around and we can like wallow around in everything that's going around right now or we can remember that this is a temporary thing. Amen? We're in the temporary right now. I just want you to know that. Today is a temporary thing and today will never happen again. And tomorrow will be a temporary thing and it'll never happen again. And eventually we're going to run out of temporary things and there's going to be a wall because there's an expiration date somewhere on us. I've not found mine yet, but there is one. And we're going to leave this place and we're going to step out of the temporary into the eternal. So the reality of it is one day we're going to hit a wall and this body's going to stay here, but the spiritual man's going to jump through into eternity. And what can come through this wall is only us. Amen. Sin can't come through the wall into eternity. Shame can't come through the wall into eternity. Hurt can't come through the wall into eternity. Death can't step through the wall into eternity because there's only life over there. Sickness can't step through the wall into eternity. So I don't know what you're dealing with, and I'll never know what you're dealing with probably. But see, there's this perspective that can save us from living in and being defeated by suffering, and it's, man, one day this is going to end. And I'm going to step into a place that is far, 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 far better. And I'm going to be surrounded by God who loves me. I may not feel loved right now, but I'm stepping into a place where I'm never going to feel unloved. Amen? I may feel lonely right now, but I'm stepping into a place where I'm never going to feel lonely. I may feel pain right now, but I'm stepping into a place where pain is actually wiped out of existence. I may feel sickness right now, and I may feel like this body's shutting down right now, and death is coming for me, but guess what? I'm stepping into a place where death and sickness are not going to be a thing anymore. This is temporary. And that's what Paul's trying to remind us in this moment. Hey, by the way, people, I know that suffering is not fun. Paul can testify to that in, in a way that most of us will never be able to. He can testify to that. As he was dying for his faith, he could testify to that. You'll never be asked to do that, probably. And he looks at these people, just like he would look at us from the stage this morning, not trying to hop something up or to get us to believe something that's not there. And he said, hey, I don't know about you, but I just want you to know, for me, all this suffering, I wouldn't even talk about it. Because it's a waste of time in comparison to what is coming. I refuse to look at what is happening today because I'm so fixed on what's coming. I refuse to be defeated by what's happening today because I'm so fixed on what's coming. Like, that's the important part. That's where I'm running to. That's what I'm running for. I'm just trying to get to him, and all this stuff is in the way. Pain is in the way. Sickness is in the way. But tomorrow or the next day or the next day or the next day or whenever he takes me out of here, I'm stepping into the presence of God, and I just want you to know that's what I'm living for. can't compare them you're like well how do you know that this is what he says in 19 this gets kind of maybe crazy but hang with me because it's beautiful Uh, in 19 he says for the creation all the created things everything in the universe actually that's not god or jesus or the holy spirit because everything else was created for creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. This is what he's saying. Creation, all those things around us. You know, when Jesus says the rocks can cry out, there's a little something going on there. Don't know what it is. A little something going on there. He says all of creation eagerly waits. Eagerly is like an intense want, right? 
eagerly as I, I want it so bad, like I can taste it, like I'm, 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 I'm clawing at it. He says, all of creation is clawing at, eagerly waits, with anticipation. This is a word meaning expectation. Expecting, knowing that it's coming. For God's sons, plural, to be revealed. Now, what's he talking about? Because I know of one son, right? For that, we got to back up a little bit. Who did he say that we were? We're God's children. You're, you're God's sons or God's daughters. And what he's saying here is that all of creation eagerly waits. They are clawing at the moment where we are going to leave this place where we're going to be glorified. Now, why would creation care about that? Because I don't know about you, but I don't know why a rock would really care that I'm going to get a new body. Like that, that's something that makes me think. I think we read through these things so fast and we're just like, oh, some of that's pretty pictures. No, it's reality. The rocks are waiting for me to be glorified. I may not be, but they are. And he says, all of creation eagerly waits, is clawing at with this expectation that the sons of God will be revealed. And what he's talking about is when we leave this place, glorification, the end, the last day, the final moment. Here's why. For the creation was subjected to futility or uselessness. Not willingly, not because it sinned, but because of him who subjected it. That's us. See, the reality of it is creation was made in perfection. Read Genesis 1 and 2. God wasn't like, oh, let's just halfway make stuff, right? Or let's kind of, I mean, I'll do something. I'm not really prepared for this, but I'll just give it my best shot. Or I'm just going to kind of wing it. God is a creator. And he thought everything out in detail. If you think about the detail of creation, it blows me away. Because not only did God have to know what everything was going to look like, he had to know what everything was going to smell like, everything was going to taste like, he had to know what everything was going to eat, he had to know what color everything was going to be, he had to know that this is how this thing's going to attract this mate. Like he had to think about all those things in the moment that he spoke those things. He had to think about how blood was going to get from here to here back to here, right, in, in the moment that he made everything. And you may not be a details person, and I'm not really a details person, but man, he is. In, in a different way than we can ever be, right? They're still finding things inside the things that make up the things that we are. God thought of everything on like the micro level and then beyond the micro level, we're gonna find words for the things that God th thought of. <laughs> and when he created everything in, in those days, he created everything in perfection, right? And then all of those things in Genesis 3, when man fell, were subjected to the same fall. Do you know that? When, when we fell, creation fell with us. When we chose to sin, creation was subjected to our sin. There was no sin. We brought sin. Creation was subjected to that sin. And creation is ready to be separated from the presence of sin forever. The rocks actually are worried about being separated from the presence of sin. You may not be, but they are. And what Paul is saying here is, man, there is a day coming when that's going away and all of creation, the zebras, are longing for it. Every sunset you've ever seen is a fallen sunset. Every uh, ocean view you've ever seen is a fallen ocean view. And all of creation that, that's been here since then remembers what perfection was like. You weren't here since perfection has been here, but the moon was, right? 
You weren't here since perfection was here, but the stars were. The stars remember what it was like to be separated from the presence of sin, and they are just clawing at and gnawing at the moment when they can get back to that because we subjected them because of our sin to the presence of sin. And all of creation, what Paul is saying, is, is getting, trying to get back to that. It says, in the hope that creation itself will be set free from the bondage or the presence of corruption, this deterioration, into the glorious freedom of God's children. Creation knows that when we are glorified, creation will again be separated from the presence of sin. That's why Jesus talks about this new heavens and a new earth, right? That's why the word of God talks about how everything is gonna be made new, how the elements are gonna dissolve and they're gonna melt away and then God's gonna make everything back into perfection. Sin is the only thing left out of the new picture. (laughs) And creation itself is longing for this moment because when we are set free from the presence of sin, so will creation be. And you may not be worried about it, but creation is. Isn't that crazy? That's a crazy thought. Really, think about it. How, how worried about sin in your life are you? And think about even the rocks groan or cry out or are waiting for a moment when they're separated from the presence of sin. If a rock can get it, we surely can. Ah, uh, glorification, that's what they used to talk about. 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. This groaning is a word that can't be described with words. If you want to experience groaning, you're going to have to go outside and like slam your arm in the car door. Groaning is, is an is a utterance from our deepest parts. It's the sound, this gurgle from our deepest parts, and it's, it's to express this pain or, or an emotion that cannot be even summed up by words, and it says this creation cries out with this groaning that can't be expressed by words. There's this inward pain or this inward momentum that drives creation to cry out, waiting for that moment. In 23, it says, and not only that, not only creation, and he gets back to us, but we ourselves, the church, not the people in the church, but the church, who have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as the first fruits or the the, the evidence of our salvation, the first step in the process. It says, those people, the people who are really saved, not just playing the game, the people who are really have a relationship with God, not just coming and singing some songs, the people who really know Jesus, not just said some prayer and skipped the other two parts of the process, the people who really want God. It says, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Can I just say, man, the Holy Spirit is what gives us a longing for heavenly things. Not only is the Holy Spirit a weapon against the flesh, amen, thank God for that. Not only is the Holy Spirit our evidence that we have a relationship with God that we know Jesus Not only does the Holy Spirit give us an avenue to have that relationship with God, but now we see the Holy Spirit actually is a vessel working in us to give us a longing for heavenly places. 
That if, if we lean into the Holy Spirit and we throw into that relationship with God, it's not an unnatural thing to want to leave this place. Some of you think that's morbid. Oh, I can't believe you'd want to leave this place. What does it have? Hurt, that's here. Sorrow, that's here. Death, that's here. Sickness, that's here. Pain, that's here. Oh, but there's love here. Yeah, nothing like love in heaven. Oh, but there's family here. Yeah, you're the family of God. There's nothing in this imperfection that isn't doubled, tripled, beyond comparison there. See, the truth is we can make excuses while we'd rather be here all day long, but the truth of it is God working in us, man, it gives us a hope for heaven. See, the reality of it is, yeah, I know all of us want a life. We want to raise our kids. We want to have a lot of money, and we want to get all the cool stuff. We want to have a whole lot of fun. But it's because our view of heaven is so small that we think we're going to miss out on something if God takes us out of here today. Oh, I won't get to do this. Well, what do you think about heaven? Oh, I want to see this thing happen. Well, what's your view of heaven? Because see, in reality, if the truth of it is that our sufferings aren't even, even in the picture when it comes to how great heaven is, how do you think your joy is? Oh, this is so great down here. No, it's not. No, it's not. There are moments of great, and that's just the grace of God. There are moments of beauty, and that's just the grace of God, just showing, shining in our lives. What do you think it's going to be like there when we're standing in the presence of God, surrounded by the grace of God? See, the truth of it is the Holy Spirit in us should give us a longing for heaven. It shouldn't be back old church when we sat around the piano and saying, when we all get to heaven that people are weeping because they want to get there. It should be today. I used to sit in church, and um, this is going to sound mean. Some of you are going to get mad at me, but it's fine. I'm dumb, and I'm going to say it, and you'll just have to forgive me. It's called grace. You get used to it. People that, people that have been forgiven, forgive. Um, I used to sit around in church. That's in the Bible. I'll show you later if you get mad at me. Um, I used to sit around in church, and people used to sing about heaven and sing all these songs about Jesus, and they'd cry. And my excuse for that was, well, maybe I'm just not old enough. Because what I saw was all the older people in the room were the ones that were crying. And this is the mean part, and I don't mean this disrespectful. It's just how like an 11-year-old brain works. I thought, well, maybe it's because they're closer to heaven. (laughs) So they're just crying because like they're going to go there. And I do believe there's some truth to that. Because the reality of it is, if we've been in a walk with God for very long, we should have a greater longing for that. And the longer we've been in that walk, the greater the longing should be. And I'm not trying to downplay that, but I'm saying if there's no hope for heaven in you right now, there may not be any Holy Spirit in you right now. If there's no longing for greater things in you right now, there's probably not any great thing in you. Because the reality of it is, our perspective as the church needs to shift, and we need to realize, man, salvation is the beginning, not the end. It's the beginning of the process to which we step into sanctification, the ugly, nasty process of being more like Jesus, where we are beaten and bruised, and we suffer, and it hurts, and it's hard. But then there's one day coming, the final step, the glorification process, the end, the moment where we step into the presence of God, and that's the moment we should long for as the people of God. And if there is no longing for that, it's not because you're too young, it's because you're empty. It's not because you haven't seen enough. It's because you haven't seen. Because the Holy Spirit in us pushes us, right? It it projects us into this moment where there is a longing in us that says there is nothing this created world has to offer that can be better than the Creator. Mm 
It says we are eagerly, we're clawing at this moment. We're eagerly waiting for adoption. See, the truth of it is we're all sons and daughters of God, but he hasn't come by the orphanage to get us yet. Can you imagine sitting in that moment like you're an orphan and you know that there's a family and it's coming to get you? You're not sitting around thinking, I hope they don't come. I want to go play with the cars. Oh, I hope they don't come. I have to talk to Susie for a little while. I have to color a picture. You pack your bags and you sit at the door and you're so glad somebody loves you. You're ready to get out. And if you sit there for a day or two days or three days, you're not moving from that door because you don't want to miss the opportunity to leave with that family. We are eagerly waiting, clawing at the moment where God comes to get his children. If we get it, if we know him, if we've seen it. This is in 24. Now this, this hope we are saved, or now in this hope we are saved, or in, in the hope that we're going to leave this place and go be with Jesus, in the hope that Jesus is enough and he's done enough and that it's not about anything we've done. We're ready to go be with him. Yet hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? Because if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. And we're not hoping for something that's already been realized. Amen, that's done. I already said the prayer, right? I already come into a relationship with Jesus. That's done. I'm not hoping in that. I'm hoping in the next thing. We're not hoping for what we've already seen. We're hoping for what's to come. And because of that, we eagerly wait with patience. 26, in the same way, the Spirit also joins to help in our weakness because we're going to suffer because we're not going to be enough, because it's going to be hard days, because we're going to feel like giving up, because people are going to let us down and disappoint us, because people are going to fail us, because we're going to fail us. The Spirit also joins to help in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. We don't even know what to pray. How many times have you been there? So beaten down, I don't even know what to pray. So worn out, I don't even know what to pray. So guilty, I don't even know what to pray. So fed up, I don't even know what to pray. So disappointed, I don't even know what to pray. So hurt, I don't even know what to pray. How many times have you been there? I could go on. It says the Spirit joins, in, joins to help in our weakness because we don't know what to pray for as we should. But listen to this, but the Spirit or the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. You don't have to know what to pray because the Spirit knows what to pray. He joins in though. Amen? Not, oh, I don't have to pray because the Spirit will do the work, right? He joins in. That means my utterings and my gurglings and my incoherent thoughts towards God, all those things, he'll join in with us, he'll add in with us, he'll come in with us, and he'll throw in with us, and he'll get something through. But you still got to do something, even in our weakness. We're still seeking, even in our weakness. But the Holy Spirit, he joins in with us, and he intercedes, talks to God for us, with unspoken groanings. In 27, it says, and he who searches the hearts knows the Spirit's mindset. He knows our hearts. Because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Not only is the Holy Spirit a weapon against the flesh, and not only is he the evidence of God's um, salvation in us, and not only is he uh, an avenue to have a relationship with God, and not only does he give us a longing for heaven, he also prays in our weakness. And then here's this verse. This verse that some of you guys have been reading and standing on and hoping in and struggling with and fighting around for months or years now. 28, we know 
that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Can can I just read that again? It's right here on the page. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Can you just get the beginning and the end of this section with me? Paul writes this down. Oh, these present sufferings are not even worth comparing to what's coming. These, this hurt, not even worth comparing to what's coming. This failure in, in life or relationship or whatever, not even worth comparing to what's coming. This, this pain, this sorrow, this anguish, this sickness, this, this struggle that you're dealing with, not worth putting on the scale with what's coming. I want to fix your perspective on a couple things as you're suffering. Heaven is out there. One day we're going to stand before the Creator, keep going, keep struggling, keep pushing, keep driving, keep, keep suffering, suffer well. Because we're going to step out of this place one day and you're going to step into the presence of God and it's going to be worth it. Suffer well. And while you're suffering and you feel like that sand's being sucked out from under your feet and you feel like it's all over for you and everything's crumbling around you, remember that when you don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit knows because he knows your heart. Church, everything works together for the good of those that love him those that are called according to his, not your, purpose. He wraps that up right there, doesn't he? Oh, there's going to be suffering. Life is hard. It is a struggle. It's not a greater struggle for you than everybody else. It's a different struggle for you than everybody else, but it's a struggle. I'm struggling. You're struggling. They're struggling. They're struggling, but we have the Holy Spirit. And he, man, he burns in us. He burns in us a desire to leave this place. That's why Paul can write things like, man, to live as Christ. I'm going to be him as much as I can when I be here. There's sanctification. But to die, man, glorification, it's gain. That's why he says, man, I'll be here because right now it's better for you. But I just want you to know it's far better to depart and be with him. That's the Holy Spirit. That's not him. Because him would be, man, I want to go to the pool a couple more times. But the Holy Spirit says, there's nothing better. There's nothing better. I want you to remember, there's nothing better. Fix your eyes on, there's nothing better. Yeah, you're suffering, but there's nothing better than what's coming. Yeah, it hurts, but there's nothing better than what's coming. Yeah, I know you're heartbroken, but there is nothing better than what's coming. I know the world's falling apart, but there is nothing better than what's coming, Christian. Keep your eyes fixed on him who called you. And when it feels like you don't even know what to say, when you're so frustrated at God and you're so frustrated at yourself and you're so frustrated at those people around you, you just lean in and you pray anyway. You get whatever you can get out. If it's just slobbering, muttering, muttering like stupidity, you just get it out because the Holy Spirit in you, he'll join in with what you got and he'll amplify that and he knows your heart and he'll turn that towards God and God will hear the prayer. It's not if you can get through, you can get through. There's a Holy Spirit, God lives in you and he's got the walkie-talkie and he just hold down the button. He's like, hey God, you gotta do this. Hey God, get one for him. It's hurting. Keep pressing, keep pressing. 
Here's why. I just want you to know all things, everything. I don't know what you're going through, but everything. Everything's not some things. Everything's not their things. Everything is everything. Even that, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're struggling with, even that, all things work together for the good. Amen. Not all things are good. All things work together for good. To them that love him and who are called, amen, who have been saved, amen, who are part of the church, amen, who have, who have started the process according to his purpose. God has a purpose. The hurting is part of it, but God has a purpose. The sorrow is part of it, but God has a purpose. The sickness is part of it, but God has a sickness. He has a purpose, right? The death is part of it, but God has a purpose. Heartache is part of it, but God has a purpose. And he's saying, hold on, Christian. Keep going forward, Christian. Keep pushing, Christian. Keep running through. Keep breaking the barriers. Keep falling and getting up if that's what it takes. But you've got to keep. Can I just say this morning that for some of us, the keep has gone out? Amen? We've lost the keep. And we're like barely just holding on by a thread and we're wondering why we're even holding on by the thread. And maybe the reason is because the Holy Spirit's just got that thread by a pinky and he's trying to pull you up. And today he's saying, Kim, come back. Suffer, but suffer well. <laughs> Suffering is a reality, but you can do it good. Amen? That's a reality. Suffering is part of it, but you can do it well. He's saying, keep on. Yeah, I don't know. I know you don't even know what to pray, but just do something, and God will take care of the rest. And remember that heaven is out there. It's it's almost here, Amen. Whether you live another eight seconds or eighty years, life is short. That's what the past thirty years have taught me. I'm like, how did I get here? Right? I look like a dad in pictures now. It freaks me out. I'm like, ah, how did I go from teenager to dad mode in like a year? It's fast, and I've known suffering. And I guarantee you I'll know more. But what I do know is Jesus. And because of that, I will continue. And you can too. Amen? Better days are out there. Jesus was dead and now he's not. Better days are out there. And you can continue. Let's pray.